0: Well, it's great to be here. Uh, if you've been coming in recent weeks, you actually wouldn't recognize me. Because <laughs> I've been away the last three Sundays, uh, which is very unusual for me. And um, yeah, for those who don't know, I do some work for Winster Vineyard, but I also work for a um, mission organization called Frontiers. So I was away a couple of Sundays training 30 leaders who are working across. The Muslim world. It was just great to have an opportunity to uh, give them some input, particularly those teams that were coming from places like Turkey and Syria and Iraq, who'd been dealing recently with the whole kind of earthquake and situation there. And then last time, there was a way just working here in the UK, training um, Ten people coming, going from the UK to work across uh, the Muslim world. So that's where I've been. In case you're wondering, where is he? I'm still around. I'm actually away next Sunday as well, but that's holiday. Um, But it's a great joy to be here to kind of carry on the series with uh, generosity. But before diving into that, I just um, had an image, and normally I just leave it to the end for ministry time, but I was thinking, why wait till the end? Uh, uh, We were having a song, and I can't remember exactly what song it was, but I was reminded of an old nursery rhyme, which I can never remember properly so I'm not gonna to try to do it properly, but Humpty Dumpty had a great fall, and uh, all the king's men, and horsemen, whatever, could have told you I'm not very good at this, couldn't put him back together again. And I just feel that maybe it's just for one person, but I don't wanna wait to the end that, and maybe there's a few other people here that just have a sense of just being broken. It might even just be a hairline crack. And God's saying, I can put you back together again. I can put you back together again. So I'm just going to have a moment of silence. Maybe that's you, put your hands out in a receiving place. Nobody else is going to be looking, but I'm just going to ask God just to turn up. You know, we were singing earlier, you know, glorify your name. We glorify God's name both by singing it and declaring it, but we also glorify God's name when we take hold of the truth that's in that name and we begin to apply it to our lives and our situations. And so before I come with maybe the kind of teacher's hat on, i come with my pastor's hat on. I'm just going to ask God to come. He is the restorer. He is the rebuilder. And Whether that crack is just a little fine crack or whether it's one of these like, God, I cannot see how you can put this together again. God says that he can. He can. So I'm just going to pray. Holy Spirit, we know you're here. We acknowledge you again. And I just say, come. Those here, Lord, they just feel broken. That you're the God that can rebuild and restore. And what man cannot put together again, God, we say that you can put together again, Lord situations where it feels like there is no hope lord that you can bring hope lord relationships that seem to be broken you can put together again lord what man can't fix god you can and so we lift our eyes to you lord and we glorify you as the god who restores who puts back together again who makes whole Yes, God. Yes, God. Yeah, let's just linger a moment. I have the benefit of time. I don't often have that. Just come, God. Just give those areas over to him. more of you God Yeah, Lord, we just thank you. And just keep, I'm going to just share, but keep pressing into God. You know, Nigel's done a couple of talks over the last two Sundays, and if you haven't listened to them, I encourage you to listen to them. But we're looking at this concept of generosity, being generous. And he gave this definition as generous, as being generosity, as larger and more plentiful than usual or necessary. Larger or more plentiful than usual or necessary. And maybe the best place and a good place to start, and we'll probably come to it at the end, is God is larger and more plentiful than what you'd think is humanly necessary because He's God. And even as we think about maybe those broken areas, He is larger, and He is more plentiful than one would ever imagine. He is a generous God. He is a generous God. And so, one of my joys and my challenges this morning is just to take us on that journey of discovering that, because that's very much the heart and the core of what I'll be talking about today. I'm going to be looking at a passage, I'm going to read it in a bit, uh, in Corinthians chapter 9, verses 5 to 15. And so I'm going to have it up later, it's going to be about another five minutes because I'm just laying the kind of foundation of the kind of the passage and the theme and what it's about. I'm not going to go into the detail of the books of Corinthians, one of the things that Nigel does a great job of. We were talking, Nigel and I, the other week, Are very different and uh, teaching styles. And one of the things that he's really good at is kind of giving you the geographical and the historical background of this passage where Paul is just challenging the church in Corinth. And he's kind of doing it as a comparison with some other churches and in a place called Macedonia. It's like, I don't think Paul is exactly trying to shame them, but he's kind of using this as, you know, as an encouragement, as a, as a challenge. And then just talking about where we are as a church, as we seek to do the things that God has laid upon our hearts, as a church, these things take time, energy, and money. But one of the things that Nigel t- and touched on last week, I was listening to. I've, written, I've actually written my talk, and then before I heard Nigel's talk, and I was thinking, oh, he's taking my sermon. And uh, what do I do? Do I rewrite it? And I thought, no, I want to delve into it a little bit deeper, but from a different angle. Because one of the things that Nigel said, and I'm going to emphasize again and again, even more than he did, is ultimately this series is more than just about generosity. It's more than about kind of maybe money. It's about our hearts. It's about the people that we are becoming. Richard Halverson, the chaplain of the U.S. Senate, said this. Jesus Christ said more about money than any other single theme, because when it comes to man's real nature, money is of first importance. Money is an exact index to a man's true character. All through scripture there is an intimate correlation between the development of a man's character and how he handles his money, or to put it in the language of Jesus. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. In other words, what your heart, what your money goes after, in some ways, is a signal where your heart is, where your heart goes after. And ultimately, Jesus cares more about our hearts than anything else. It's an indication of where our treasure our heart is. Uh, Last week, on my way back from where I was, where I had been in the UK, I stopped off with my, my best friend from university. And I uh, hadn't seen him for a number of years, and through Facebook we'd connected after like 20, 25 years. And, uh, and he was back on his journey with, with Jesus. And I was meeting his wife for the first time, who I know had kind of come from a, a background where she'd been to church. Um, but for various reasons, church had put her off. And so my friend, he's really keen on me, he said, "Oh, I've been listening to you the last time you talked. He goes, when are you speaking next? And I said, well, ironically, I'm speaking next Sunday at my church. And he goes, what are you speaking on? And I was thinking, I'm speaking on generosity, but I kind of didn't want to come out with that because I was thinking his wife had maybe this kind of stereotypical mentality of what churches were about. Might not be so keen about me going, well, he's speaking about generosity, thinking, well, that's what churches do all the time. And so, trying to be like Jesus, as I do try, to some extent, grow in that, I thought I'd just share a bit like a parable. And uh, my friend is an accountant, and I said, so when I was asked what I was teaching on today, I said, you know, I said, it's interesting. I said, if you want to know where people's hearts are, look at their bank statements. So I said, if, um, you know, imagine your friends around here, your neighbors. I said, if you gave me their bank statements... I could probably go through them and have some indication of what's important to them. So I said, like, let's have an example. My friend, he has like three dogs that were bouncing all over me. And I said, if you looked at your bank statement, you'd see that you have a certain amount of your budget going on dogs. If you look at my bank statement, you'll see no money going on dogs. Not that I don't like dogs, but it is a higher value and priority in your life. Money shows us where our treasure is. It shows us what is important to us. What our hands do with our money shows what our hearts are doing with God. See, what we do with our money shows where we believe, believe life, joy, hope, security, meaning, and freedom is found. That's why for me it's an important um, subject. What is the condition? Of our heart. What's God saying to our hearts this morning? And as I speak, as usual, I I challenge myself. Because if I went through my bank statement, what would that say about my heart and my condition? As I speak to my children about where I spend money, what does that say to them? That's why it's important. So let's read. uh, I split it up over a couple of lines. Great, I think I can read it for me. I have this chore sometimes with my glasses. Do you want to read something? So this is 2 Corinthians 9, verses 5 to 15. So the I here is um, Paul, Paul the Apostle. It's kind of confusing when you've got Paul and you've got myself, Paul. Uh, so Paul saying this. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised. He had promised, as Nigel was explaining last week, that we're going to give a gift to those in Israel and the Jerusalem area that were facing a famine at that time. And it was difficult. So that they had promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your hearts to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they had freely scattered the gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Carrying on. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given to you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Yeah, thanks be to you for that, God. If you haven't got it I, I mean obviously it's up on the slide we might want to have it there in front of you because I'm going to refer it to a few times but I'm not going to be flicking backwards and forth between slides but as you kind of look at that passage particularly at the beginning there's two types of, of giving and um, two types of giving in the sense of descriptions how to give and how not to give And so in verse 5, it says, you know, not to do it grudgingly. Verse 6 says not to do sparingly. Verse 7 says not reluctantly or under compulsion. However, in verse 5, it talks about a willing gift. And in verse 6, it talks about generously. Verse 7, it talks about cheerfully. And so it's talking about how to give and how not to give. Kind of looking firstly about how not to give. In each of these three descriptions, the essence of what's wrong is the desire to hold back. There is giving, but it's coming from a heart that wants to hold back. Take the word kind of sparingly. You know, just imagine that how it's normally used, you know, spare my life. It really means like, let me keep it. Don't take it from me. If I say spare no effort, I mean hold no effort back. Give all the effort you can. And um, Paul actually uses the same word kind of in spare and says, God did not spare his own son. This is Romans 8, 32, in the sense that he didn't withhold Jesus. So to give sparingly is to give from a heart that deep inside wants to hold back. There are enough external constraints and pressures on us. To make us give something, maybe because we feel like as followers of Jesus we should do, but the feeling in in our hearts is not to think about how much we can give, but how much we can keep. Then we have this kind of context of the heart that wants to give, has this idea of kind of of God being generous. This kind of generosity that we see in verse 5. This idea literally means that because of the goodness and the blessing that God has given us, that we want to give generously. And then we get this word, Nigel referred to it last week. People always love this word. In verse 7, when it says to kind of give cheerfully. And, uh, and it uses the Greek word hilarion, which means kind of Hilarious. You know, this idea of kind of cheerful can sometimes mean like, you know, just put a brave face in it and kind of smile, kind of give cheerfully. But this idea of kind of hilarity is kind of like, you know, when you get that kind of laughter, it used to happen to me more in kind of school situations, occasionally at university or at work, you know, when you're not meant to be laughing and, you know, and you're trying to hold it in and it's kind of like, oh, it's, oh, you know, when you just laugh and laugh. You know, I, I generally laugh quite well. I often say that one of the main ways of exercise is by laughing. And yeah, it keeps me trim. And uh, you just kind of laugh and you just, right, right for your belly. It's just it's, That's the kind of laughter that we're talking about. This is the kind of hilarious uh, laughter we, we're talking about. It's not like a light, slight chuckle. Huh. That was a funny joke. Uh-huh. No, I, I can't even do it. Maybe if, I can think of, maybe if I think of one of my own jokes, I might laugh. <laughs> my wife says no. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I often do that. I crack a joke, nobody else laughs except me in my family. Maybe it's just me. Am I the only dad that does that? No? Yeah, I love dad jokes. They're a gift from God. And, um, but it's just that kind of aspect. And I don't know where you are at, but I'm not there yet. You know, as I often say, becoming like Jesus, choosing to be a follower of Jesus means to systematically and progressively rearrange my life to become like him. And one of those aspects is trying to become like him. He did not even spare his own life, but gave it up freely for us. And it says, you know, he did it for the joy set before him, we're told in Hebrews. And I need more of that. What type of heart do we have? And for me, this kind of comes down to the crux of the matter. So kind of building what Nigel talked about last week about heart being the key issue. For me, the question is, we often have two types of heart. The heart that sees God as the taker and the heart that sees God as the giver. See, the heart that sees God as the taker will be the heart that kind of just gives sparingly. Because it kind of puts things of God as a God is always taking. Give me your life. Give me your skills. Give me your time always feels like in some ways that you are losing out. A relationship where it doesn't seem to be fair and equal. And this is dangerous in any relationship. If you're in a relationship where you feel like you're the one that's always, always giving. Sometimes there are seasons in our life where it tends to be more one way than another way. But over a prolonged period of time, if there isn't that kind of give and take, it kind of sours the relationship. Next time you meet that person, you're thinking, what else do they want from me? And that's not a good place to be. And certainly not a good place to be in our relationship with God. How do we perceive God to be? Do we seem to be a taker? Because with this perspective, giving is always going to be draining. It's always going to be depleting. It's always going to be exhausting. It's always going to result in giving sparingly. do we have a heart that sees God as the giver? Or we see God as the bountiful giver, the good one. Because this kind of mindset and perspective will be what underpins a lifestyle or kind of cheerful, bountiful giving that Paul talks about in Corinthians. A mindset that looks to God as the supplier, the helper, the replenisher, the generous giver. So that when this kind of person kind of hears God inviting them to give, they hear it as a a command from God or somebody who's good and who's generous. So as we've been doing this series, and I've just done a couple and I'm finishing it off, maybe one of the biggest issues, challenges for myself and for each one of us is this morning. How do we see God? How do we perceive him? What do we feel when we look at him in his face? What is the foundation of our relationship? Do we think of him as a giver or as the taker? Ultimately, how does this relationship work? And so Paul, in his letter, kind of wants to just kind of delve into this and help the Corinthians and just kind of give them this idea of the the freeness and the generosity of God that he gives because he wants to give to us and he gives to us so that we can give so that when we give to him he gives him an excuse to give to us more so as we give then he can give to us more and here I'm not just talking about financial stuff though there is an aspect of finance in this passage because ultimately it's talking about blessing one of the things that you hear and you read a lot in that passage is this idea of seed and sowing. And having worked and dealt with people in kind of rural areas in third nations, seed means kind of life. It's kind of bounty for the harvest, is a thing that you literally do rejoice over because it's a matter of life and death. So in verse 8, like I said, I'm not going to, if you want to keep your Bibles open or your phones open, it says, He gives so that we can give. And God is able to provide you with every blessing in abundance. Or some translations say, make every grace abound to you. So that you may always have enough for everything, may provide in abundance for every good work. So here he's saying very clearly that God wants to be known as a generous God who provides. He is able, he's omnipotent, able to give whatever we need in order to be generous. He's a giver in this relationship, not a taker. And I know we know the right answer. I know we know that, what, that God is giver, but sometimes it's a reflection of our hearts. How do we perceive Him? And in verse 9, it picks up an image that Paul has used in verse 6, namely the idea, this image of sowing seed. In verse 6, he says, that If you sow generously, you will reap generously. Now, in verse 9, he takes an illustration from a passage that we find in Psalm 112, verse 9. Of a person who sows generously, as it is written, he scatters abroad, he gives to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. So, the sowing of the seed in verse 6 and the scattering of the seed in verse 9 is the free and generous giving of the help to meet the needs of people. And this generosity is called righteousness in verse 9. Now, just digging a little bit deeper. It's not my normal style. I'm going to get my little bit more normal style in a, bit, a minute. But in verse 10, he takes that Old Testament quote from verse 9 and brings it into relationship to God. He kind of makes God the forefront. It's like you've been, you know this idea. You're all very familiar with this kind of concept of seeding and, and sowing, and you're aware of this passage in, in Psalm 112. And he says, he is, he is the one God he gives the seed for scattering, and he's the one who brings the harvest from this righteousness. He who supplies the seed to the sower and the bread for food will supply and multiply your resources. So there is what Paul's trying to say. There is the God is the giver. All through that passage, through all the different verses, God is the giver. He gives to us. And so, even if you found that kind of, Working through the verses slightly harder, you might want to go and chew over it again after your Sunday lunch. The great truth of this text is that God wants to be known and trusted and loved as the giver. Not the taker in this whole affair of giving. Because like I said already, if we don't have this concept, our giving becomes draining, burdensome, oppressive, legalistic. We need to get this idea. Actually, I didn't jump off the slides. Ignore you know that. We need to get into our hearts and our understanding the God is the giver, the God who is generous. Like I said right at the beginning when I quoted the definition that Nigel gave, or generosity, the larger and the more plentiful than necessary. That's who our God is. And so just to kind of to help you, I, just, I was thinking about this, and I was reflecting on a passage that I did earlier on uh, in January or February when I was speaking about 2 Corinthians chapter 3, about being with unveiled faces. This idea as we look at God, it begins to reveal a greater and a deeper uh, aspect of his nature and character that transforms us. And if you weren't there, I gave one example I gave was kind of like sunbathing, this idea of gazing upon God, that as I gaze Upon the sun, to some limited extent, because I try to avoid being in the sun too much, I begin to get freckly. You know I've been in the sun because I begin to get freckly. And so today I kind of want to rip the veil a bit and try to help us look at God in his generosity. I'm going to use some bits from his marvelous creation and I'm going to do some bits from the Bible. The Milky Way, you're going to get some lessons today, actually, Uh, physics, economics. The Milky Way is considered an average-sized galaxy. I'm going to be using, by the way, before everybody starts talking to me about um, billion and trillion, as the Americans use the term and the British use the term, I'm generally using the American way because most of the research on this is done by the Americans. The Milky Way is considered an average-sized galaxy. It stretches for 105 105,700 light-years in diameter. It may contain at least 100 billion planets and around 400 billion stars. That's a lot. Scientists say there's around that many galaxies. (laughs) I think it's like a trillion or something like that. I get confused. But the reason I share that is God is so big. God is so generous. I mean, it's like he could have just made one galaxy. But he made all those galaxies and all those stars. His generosity, is, we see in those stars. When we look at all those stars. Again, somebody has got more time than I have. Said if you counted two stars a second, and you did that for three hundred no, and thirty seven years, 225 days, and I'm not going to go into the hours and seconds, you eventually end up counting every star. That Psalm 147 tells us that, Jesus is, that God has given a name to each one of those. It's like, wow. Now, you think that's good. I didn't even bother because I was thinking, I was trying to look it up, but no computer would actually break it down in exact numbers, and I wanted to get exact numbers because I'm sure some here is mathematical. Every winter, there's a trillion, trillion, Snow crystals. Snowflakes. Who goes around counting that? But, uh, and what do we know about every snowflake? They're all different. When I look at that, I think, God, you're so big, and you're so generous. You're such a good God. You could have just made that amount, but all the same. But no, because that's who he is. Maybe less exciting for you to know that um yeah, was it said here? Two hundred thousand different types of spy- spider. Nah, uh, that's exciting. Uh, Four hundred thousand different types of flower. Yeah, that's a little bit. That's a little bit better. And so, as you look through creation, one of the stamps you get is the generosity and the goodness of God. He's giving. He could, he could just given us one type of spider. Some of you wish he had. You know, one type of flower. But some of the beauty is when you just combine those flowers in different ways. I love the daffodils that are out at the moment and the uh, snowdrops. I'm trying to figure out what's been out recently. But it's the, kind of the contrast and the shapes. That is the abundance and the goodness of God. And then you, then you look at the, the Bible... You know, Psalm 23 just talks about him preparing a table before us. Having lived in the Middle East, take it from me that when you go to eat in a person, there's a couple of things about goodness and generosity. If you go to the Middle East, probably the proper Middle East, if you go into some of the rural areas, you will hardly, practically impossible to walk past people's houses without being invited in for a meal. You would never met them in your life, but they will invite you in. And when they feed you, they will probably kill, you know, maybe the chicken or something, they will kill the meat that's there for the year for them, for you. And what they give you is, they'll give you like two or three times the amount that you can physically eat. You see, we are brought up in the UK where you're inviting somebody around for food and you kind of look at them, and you think, okay, actually I know I've got Chris there at the back. You know, you know you're going to get a young person and you're thinking, right, I've got to get some more food in. And because uh, they're going to eat it as teenagers. My boys are kind of coming to the teenage years and it's like, just grab a loaf, stick it in the toaster. I'm not cooking something special for you right now. Because they're just beginning to eat and eat uh, and eat. But you, whenever you cook, you just kind of want to have a little bit, you know, a little bit more. What you don't want is like loads of leftovers. That's a kind of classic British uh, way of doing things. And so we put that upon God. God, one of the things I'm trying to say and just multiply is he's way more generous than we would imagine. You know, the, the stories in the Bible where Jesus fed the 4,000 and 5,000. If it had been British, there wouldn't have been anything left. But there, they had baskets left over, and the baskets, they say, are pretty, high, pretty large. They weren't small. There wasn't a small thing. You begin to just get this image, this idea of abundance, and goodness we need to begin to grasp that you see when we begin to grasp that our hearts grasp that truth then we'll begin to live out of that this place see these facts these stories we need to begin not, not just to know them but live on the reality of the truth that is in that secondly there's two, two types of heart there's two types of mindset here comes the economics in a minute. And uh, it's the question of whether the mindset is whether there is an abundance in God's economy or there's a limitation in resources. I told my daughter, who's in economics at the moment, I said, I'm teaching on economics. Basically, I used to be a lecturer in economics, one of the areas I teach. And I'm not going to bore you. That's called an opportunity curve, it's a way of simplifying life in economics. See, so if you take the Y curve, if you spend all your money on, let's say, jeans, you'd be right at the top, um, top left. Let's say Y because jeans. It means you can't spend anything on good X. If you spend all your money on good X, let's say shirts, it means you have got no money to spend on jeans. You have to make a choice. In economics, there's what's called scarcity of resources, and so you have to make choices. You have to make trade-offs. You're very aware of this, even though you might not know that diagram. You make this trade-off all the time. The reason why there's a limit, there's this kind of limitation, this opportunity cost, is in economics. So what they what they call what they call the factors of production. Why are you learning so much this morning on the different subjects? And uh, and so it, uh, there's four resources: capital. Labor, land, entrepreneurship, capital, labor, land, entrepreneurship, and there's finite, limited resources of that. Sometimes they will just discover, you know, a new um, oil deposit. All it does is just shift that curve out. But there's limitation in the world. But with God, there is no limit. I was looking at it, thinking about it. Just basic economics, capital. He has all the money in the world. And there, he can make a boil. He can make gold. He's the creator. Labor. He doesn't grow weary. He doesn't grow tired. He has no limitation to his energy. Land. I, this is the first one I thought, oh, there's limitation to land. And I thought, no, he's a creator. He can just create another planet. And also his land, if you know anything about physics, they tell us that the universe is expanding anyhow. It's increasing. And as for entrepreneurship, every good and great idea comes from him. There is no limit to it. And so this is more than just a kind of academic economics lesson. I just want to make it a little bit more interesting and surprise my daughter about, it. yes, you can bring economics into a, a sermon. God has no limitations. You see, when we come with a mindset or a heart that God is limited, once you give something, then you've got to give something else up. You've got to get You're stuck on this curve. My prayer for myself, because I know I'm not always in this place, my prayer for each one of us is that we begin just to grasp the abundance of God that veil would be ripped open a little bit more. You see, as Nigel and I have shared and we talk about the vision of the church and different things that we desire to see happen, what we never want to do is kind of like feel like we're on twisting. My desire today was just to point us to God. You see, when we see God and we see his generosity and we see his goodness, the question is, what is our response to that and as our understanding and grasp of God begins to get larger it begins to bring a freedom because I'm not just looking at my limited resources of time, energy, money, whatever I begin to see his unlimited resources and when that happens everything changes so just to kind of finish the passage because I think that's a good thing to do to come into land because of this because of this kind of understanding of who God is and this understanding of god 's generosity, it begins to affect us. the benefits begins to, of the overflows of god 's generosity releases us to be generous. It gives us even greater ability to be generous to other people as we give, it allows us to bless other people. As Nigel, I think, mentioned last week in his talk, some of the things that we do uh, as, as a church, I think it's in April, I'm actually looking at uh, Nigel, I think it's in April, we've got the trustees report. And what part of that, is it just talks about, you might not be aware that the finances are given here bless so much the community. You know, as soon as we have meetings, and we're like, we were discussing the other day about having a meeting on Wednesday night, and we're like, that's actually going to be quite tricky, because this venue is being loosed by a, a group that's helping people with addicts, is helping a local scout group, Just even this, you know, the money that we have invested into this building is blessing the community. That ability to be generous to those around us. You might not always be aware of how and why we can do that. Because it's God. Secondly, as we do that, more thanks is given to God. As it literally says there, verse 11 goes on. Great generosity, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. And verse 13 says the same thing. So God gets glory when his people give generously. Why? Doesn't the giver get the glory? He should do. It's like, why how can you guys as a church do this? How can you do things like some of the things that we do in the storehouse at the back? Some of the people that we help are the most vulnerable and broken in our society around us. Is because of what God has done to us. Further, this results in the joy of seeing people's needs met. Who loves being given something? Okay, that's a little more positive. I can see who likes being given something, love language, gifts, but it gives you a joy. And you get two aspects of this. When you give, you see the joy of giving and, and, and um I share this as a, uh, as a parent, some of you might not uh, you know, have this experience, but often when you give to other people, you know, I love it. You know, when as a parent you get something for your child that they know, you know that they really want. Sometimes it's a bit of a risk because you're not totally sure. And most parents have had experiences where you're giving something and that's gone down really badly. <laughs> but when you give something, I remember my, uh, my son Daniel, he wondered, what's a teddy bear about the size of me? And, uh, and I remember that, and it's going to stick in my mind forever. He kind of walked in, and was like, ah, and he just fell on it. And he just wrapped his round around this huge bear. There was a joy in giving it. There was a joy of seeing him receive it. That's what he's, we're being invited into. You know, who doesn't, you know, often when we talk about doing a talk on giving, people go, oh, not talking, giving. Look at it as a talk on joy. Maybe our mindset needs to change when it comes to this topic. Goodness, generosity, joy. And lastly, it results in affection and love amongst God's people. See, the people that benefit from it, however much they believe in God or not, they will long for you and pray for you. And God acknowledges those responses of the heart and he pours grace upon you. Wow. He doesn't want that? So to kind of finish, so we're going to, yeah, guys helping with hosting want to come up. As we kind of just come in to finish this series, I I go back to that definition that Nigel said about generosity is generous. Generous. A large and more plentiful than necessary. And I felt the bit I wanted to do was just center God in that god is saying to us he is larger and more plentiful than we would even imagine if i had more time i would have given you more illustrations and more passages from the bible that underpin that yell that scream that echo through the passages saying that i am a good and generous god way more than you imagine and as we seek to grow in maturity, one of those things you've been around this church for a while, we talk about our desires is to become disciples. We use this phrase, apprentices. An apprentice seeks to become like the one he's trying to learn from. And so as we seek to try to become more godlike, one of the natural characteristics is that we should become more generous, larger, and more plentiful than necessary in the way that we outwork our gifts, time money and for that to happen I don't know about for you but for me I know my heart needs to keep changing because I tend to atrophy towards one way and my mindset needs to keep expanding so I'm going to pray and then we're going to see what God wants to do God, I just pray, and I pray that you would come and reveal yourself. I pointed to your nature, and I pointed to your character. But I know for myself and those here, Lord, we don't want to go away and think, oh, that was interesting. Come and bring revelation, God. Of your goodness, your bountiful, gracious nature, God. Lord, where mindsets need to break, Break them, God. Where our hearts need to bend again and acknowledge your goodness, do that again, Lord. Lord, I pray you will change us. That the heart of this church will be you. And the pursuit of you. That our treasure will be you. And nothing else, God.